You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning from 7.45 AM. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. It's 7.46 a.m. on this Friday morning and it's probably the last day of work for a lot of you this morning. So very happy Christmas to you. I hope you're excited uh, for the break. Michael Verney's with me in studio. A very good morning to you. You may know Michael Verney from such things as Coppers half an hour ago. Very good morning to you. I wouldn't say half an hour ago, but not too long ago, all right, yeah. You were at the Irish Independent uh, Sports Star Awards last night? Yeah, great night, yeah. It's, um, it's, just, it's, it's great every year. It's such a relaxed kind of atmosphere and everybody just has their kind of guard down and it's great to just... They're just normal people at the end of the day and just mingling with everyone. And yeah, it was just brilliant. Yeah, rubbing shoulders with uh, the greats. It's actually just amazing looking at it, just to see the the array of stars we have in different fields now between the hockey, the athletics, probably big emergence this year. Then you obviously have your, your GA and your rugby, your rugby lads as well and the soccer guys as well. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of mad how we kind of nearly have... We nearly have everyone excelling in, in some sort of field, which is crazy. Yeah, we've got Alan Quinlan coming up a little bit later on. He left woeful early, I think, just to, to use your phrase. <laughs> he left early enough, all right. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's cute enough. He should be fresh out today. <laughs> Seems that way. We'll have him in uh, at around 9 o'clock uh, this evening. But it's, it's right, or this morning, I should say. It is right what you say about the different fields that have been represented in those awards because it's just been this, uh, a strange year in a very, very good way that we've got to know people from different areas of Irish sport that we wouldn't have ordinarily got to know. Like, even if you look Look at say the young sports person of the year award last night. Sarah Healy picking it up like a an Irish sprinter becoming one of our best young talents is an exciting time for Irish sport. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. I'm even just thinking like even with the darts that's going on at the moment, we even have three or four guys in that as well. And William O'Connor is playing Saturday night. We just seem to be seems to be people kind of popping up everywhere. Even the the gymnast as well, Reese McLennan. Yeah, I should like, say that Sarah Healy's middle distance, not a sprinter. Middle distance, yeah, fifteen hundred thousand. Well. Yeah, but like it's it's phenomenal. Like and. Like we've a we've a sprint team as well. We've an underage sprint team to look forward to, mm. which is just amazing. Like it's it's great. Uh, 2018 was good, and the next couple of years are probably going to be better again, realistically. Yeah, Johnny Sexton was uh, Irish Independent Sports Person of the Year. Yeah, kind of hard to boring to, choice. <laughs> boring choice. It's uh, it's just when you when you look back through his highlight reel for the year, it's just like the the drop goal against France seems like a long long time ago, but that kind of just spawned a, a whole wreck of different things off that, and then you have. Leinster's successes and obviously the successful tour and beating the All Blacks as well in, in November. Like it's, it's just it's just been phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, it's not been a bad year at all. Let's see what's coming up this morning on OTB AM. We're going to get into the sports pages in just a moment. And we've got two, we talked about young sports people, the two rising stars of, of Irish boxing at the moment, Aaron and Stevie McKenna. And they joined me yesterday morning in studio. We recorded an interview and we're going to play out majority of that uh, shortly after 8 o'clock this morning. They're home for Christmas. Uh, the sports news coming your way at half past eight. Stephen Doyle is going to join us in studio. And as I say, Alan Quinlan is fresh as a daisy this morning and he's going to join us uh, at quarter to nine to look ahead to the interpro fixtures and chat a little bit about Ronan O'Gara's column this morning in the Irish Examiner saying that Leinster get the rub of the green when it comes to the refereeing. At the moment, they're the kings of the jungle, he says. Time for the back pages. We don't have a back pages thing. Uh, <laughs> let's go straight to uh, the back page of the Irish Times this morning, which is Klopp admits there is no margin for error. Uh, Andy Hunter's piece here saying Liverpool can take a four-point lead at the top if they win at Buoyant Wolves. Uh, it's Friday Night Football. 
proper festive uh, sort of schedule at this point where things are going to start uh, stacking up. But the main story here that uh, we want to touch on is uh, Johnny Waterson's piece. Carried in a, a lot of the, the papers this morning, this, this news story that Taylor won't be held to ransom and push for world domination. So this is Brian Peters' quotes yesterday that... Um, Katie Taylor was invited uh, to Belgium to fight Rosa Valente for the sum of €130,000. Brian Peters says Katie Taylor wouldn't get out of bed for that sum. Uh, Katie Taylor herself saying that she's starting to... She doesn't say that she's starting to realise the professional game. She already knew this is the sort of pitfalls of the professional game whereby, you know, it's tough to to make it to a position where you can actually be the undisputed champ in a, in a weight class and trying to unify all those belts. It's probably just a, a matter of patience, but it is frustrating on the outside looking in that her rise has been so meteoric that to actually gets to the next level, this political minefield has to be negotiated. It's a real endemic thing of boxing though, like, and that's, like, why haven't we seen Wilder, why haven't we seen Wilder and Joshua? Mm. Why, haven't we, why haven't we seen uh, Fury and Joshua? It's just... The, duck, the ducking and diving that goes on in professional boxing is unreal. And just Brian Peters quotes, he seems quite exasperated. I think he said he would. I think it was the launch was in Dunchockton, I guess. And he said he would have put the country club on the fighting whoever the Belgian girls they were supposed to fight the day before, and then it all falls through. And he just seemed kind of a loss to explain why why it wasn't happening. But that's kind of that's the nature of professional boxing, and it's not it's not easy to get the fights that we want, you know. Yeah, it's Delphine Persoon, I should say, uh, is the, the Belgian fighter. Uh, you've obviously got uh, um, Rosa Valante in the mix as well. Uh, like She was expected to be named as Taylor's next opponent. So we were, we were expecting a fight in March to be announced yesterday. That hasn't happened. The frustration uh, comes to the fore. Uh, September as well is, is the other possibility. March, I presume, would have been on that Anthony Joshua card, yeah. which is uh, touted. But even that uh, has got question marks around it as well. We, mm. we don't quite know. I think, had, I think it's April he has booked that. April, is it April? Yeah, yeah. so April, it wouldn't yeah. be on a, on a Joshua undercard then. It'll be interesting to see what happens there, but it's kind of frustrating from her point of view. Uh, the front page of the Irish Examiner Sports section goes with Liverpool. Klopp's Christmas wish. Oh, what fun he'll have to see Liverpool win away, uh, says the headline here. And Ronan O'Gara, as you can see at the top. Leinster are kings of the jungle, so they get riffed differently. But he's OK with that. Definitely okay with that. Ronald O'Gara definitely doesn't see anything wrong with uh, Leinster being ref differently. He don't, like to be fair. He doesn't really say Leinster are getting ref differently. He kind of compares them to Manchester United when Keane was at his pomp in Old Trafford, and they weren't slow to remind referees of the fact that they are the best team around. You know, if you've got that influence, you may as well wield it. Well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd, it was kind of a bit mad, and I know Quinny will have more of an insight into it at the, at the kind of events of the weekend and. This this ban going from four weeks down to three weeks is one of the most for good behaviour is one of the most bizarre things mm. I, I've ever I've ever come across. I, and I'm gonna to have to ask Quinny like what exactly did he do? Did he bring in a packet of biscuits or what did he bring <laughs> in or how did he woo them? Like how do you how do you impress someone that much um, in a sighting here and that you can get a week off? I think it's bizarre. Yeah, know? whatever Rory Cockett did, I want to know because that is some top class bullshitting there. Uh, back page of the Times this morning is Rice and talks with Ireland's new coaches, and this is carried across a number of the papers. Uh, the Indo have it on their back page, uh, the, the Mail I think have it on the back page, and a number of other papers do as well. Things are looking hopeful. Uh, once again, and I hate getting my hopes up when it comes to the Declan Rice situation because it's happened time and time again. But uh, it seems that Mick McCarthy has had a fruitful conversation with Declan Rice. Interestingly, uh, the first thing that Mick McCarthy did when he was appointed Ireland manager, and this is before he was even unveiled, so there was a 48-hour gap between him being appointed and him being unveiled, he picked up the phone and uh, called Sean Rice, uh, Declan's father, to say, listen, we're very, very interested in this guy. And the way Mick McCarthy is talking, it's like uh, he is quietly confident by the sound of things. Like, I'm not sure if, if we say, 
a couple of months ago when Gareth Southgate met him and when he initially kind of looked like he was going to defect, I would have said I was two out of ten confident that Declan Rice was going to play for Ireland again. Slowly then, as time has gone on, and you know, we, we kind of started to believe that Martin O'Neill might be able to persuade him. My rating went up to about a four out of ten. This morning, I'm at a six out of ten that De- Declan Rice is going to play for Ireland. Call, call me naive here, but uh, Rice and talks with Ireland's new coaches is a headline that, that uh, gets my heart beating, and I'm excited for 2019. The story that keeps on giving, isn't it? The story of 2018 that will carry into 2019. I'd like to say, like, I wonder what odds he was at one stage. I'm sure he kind of went out to long odds at one stage. He's probably quite short again. I believe Keane and McCarthy met him in London during the week. Keane, Keane, uh, Robbie Keane going over as well is. Uh, would have a big draw, whatever about McCarthy, and obviously he's a fair old aura to him as well. Like Robbie Keane, everyone can kind of resonate with him almost, you know what I mean? And I, I believe Southgate showed him some video package or something like that, uh, where he would fit into their role, but it'd be interesting to see if, if McCarthy and Keane were kind of able to tug at the, at the heartstrings, but yeah, it seems uh, I'd love to know, I'd love to have a final day for when we're going to know exactly, but uh, promising again, it would, be, it would be a big boost to McCarthy's reign straight off. You, you do wonder if the Gareth Southgate approach of this very polished PowerPoint sort of uh, suite of things that is going to help your life if you choose our side of things is actually the most effective way of approaching a teenager. It's like it's not very cool. It's very corporate. It's like if Gareth Southgate wants to, you know, sit down with a potential sponsor for the Three Lions and create some sort of corporate brand. That's the sort of thing he does. Do you wonder if a PowerPoint presentation is the way to woo nineteen-year-olds? Yeah, to be honest with you, I if if that was me, I'd go all for the heart approach and that kind yeah. of thing rather rather than would say yeah a big PowerPoint presentation telling me where I'm going to fit into some structure or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. Like, what is what is cool nowadays? How do you how do you relate to a nineteen year old? I did just say Mick McCarthy is uh, probably by extension saying Mick McCarthy is cool. So that's probably not the case whatsoever. Yeah. But Robbie Keane, I guess, in comparison to all of this, Declan Rice probably looks up to Robbie Keane more than he does to Gareth Southgate, for example. Well, maybe not positionally and stuff. He probably modelled himself on Southgate to a certain extent when he's playing centre back and all that. Who knows? I'm very hopeful. Maybe it's just Christmas spirit, and I, I don't know. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts, by the way. You can tweet us it off the ball. What, 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 out of 10, what are we rating the Declan Rice situation? I'm giving it a 6. Uh, Katie Taylor leading the way on the back of the end, though, this morning. Katie's rivals are running scared of the unification bout. Philadelphia fight in doubt after Volante gets ultimatum to commit to life-changing offers. So that is the money that's been on the table for the WBO champion, Rosa Volante. Uh, the, the Brazilian boxer has made an offer she can't refuse, but clearly she could refuse it. But they're going to play hardball. And uh, Eddie Hearn famously said that every boxer has a price. Uh, a million-dollar man also said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it'll be interesting to see what that price is. But Brian Peters is saying, no, we've actually got a bit of principle going here. And uh, he's going to play hardball. Uh, so fair play to him. She's really never fought that. outside Brazil either. Kind of another, like, so this, is a, this is, would be a big payday. It's either, it, and you have to kind of respect it too. It's, it's probably going to be maybe her one big payday and they're trying to hold off to get the best possible deal to set up probably her career and her life probably after boxing. You know? Yeah, it's true. Uh, I, I don't know about this whole idea of you know, maintaining the idea that you have to fight within your own country's bounds. It's obviously to do with maybe hometown decisions and stuff and boxing has just got such uh, a history of decisions that are so terribly awful when you go away from home. But like, do it in London. Do it in Boston or do it in New York. You know, it doesn't have to be Katie Taylor's home ground. London, I guess, they would very much view as kind of a, a Katie Taylor home ground because it, it'd be a her event and all that sort of stuff. I think before before Katie turned pro, though, like, did you know much about, about women's pro boxing? Nothing, actually. Yeah. You know, so like, and I just think... These, that's probably the reason why a lot of these, a lot of these female fighters have only fought in their home country because 
there was never a draw and a kid he's a massive massive draw and they, they probably all know that and are kind of playing up to that to some extent as well yeah for sure uh, you got some of the tabloids yeah I do indeed yeah uh, the, the mirror is uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer I'll make you so proud um, Solskjaer thrilled to be home and vows to win over fans with winning attacking football uh, this is amid all the, the crack that's going on within the United squad and Alexis Sanchez having a 20 grand bet with Marcus Rojo mm. apparently allegedly I should say that um, <coughs> that Mourinho was going to be sacked and then you have all the kind of fun and games with Pogba as well and this captioned this tweet that he put the other day like there, there's something there's something there seems to be something clearly wrong in, in their dressing room I, I don't know there seems to be an absence of leadership anyway I would say definitely and just looking at um, you know Quinny mentioned it earlier on looking at like Paul Scholes and or not Paul Scholes looking at Gary Neville and Roy Keane the other day and like two two ultra professionals who soccer was the only thing that really mattered to them. And you just see all these guys that seem to have all these other like intangibles going on in their careers, which is just bananas really. You know, I can't I can't, I can't really get my head around it to be honest with you. But uh that's obviously gonna be a big story going back to it going back to his old club. Um the male have it as well, just some their different line is Yukaku or Lukaku is Ollie's first headache. Striker may miss two games due to compassionate leave. Um, and they have the the carry the McCarthy positive after Rice Summit. Rice Summit has a, has a, has a, has a nice little, has a nice little ring to it. Just in the Herald then as well, uh, Wolves to feed to feed off Liverpool. So um, obviously that's a big game. That's tonight, is it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Wolves have a very good record by all accounts against three of the bigger teams. They drew with City and Mali this year as well. So that's going to be interesting. Liverpool can go. I think four clear is it if they if they win, which would be it's interesting. A game. Like that's just. Wolves versus Liverpool is just peak festive football. It's like mid-table versus to- at top of the table, sort of potential shock. Uh, you've, you're finished work for the Christmas and it's like, this is it. You're like rubbing your hands together and you're like, I cannot wait to watch a million hours of football over the next 10 days. You're like a PR, soccer PR guru. Like. Yeah, because the Premier League really needs more hype. <laughs> what's, like, what's your, you're, you're obviously a big racing man. Is it like Leopardstown every single Christmas and then you kind of watch the soccer on the side or is it kind of like... Uh, I'm, I'm not a big soccer fan, I'll be honest with yeah. you. Um, soccer would not be in my top 10 of sports. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah I'd uh, much prefer... Snooker, darts, uh, GA, tennis, that type of thing, or soccer. I, I don't. I, I'll be. I'll be straight with you. I think. Um, I, I think soccer is is painful to watch. <laughs> I do. I think it's. I think it's painful to watch. Yeah. I think it's it, at times it can. It's a bad version of Gaelic football. <laughs> and like, why? I, I just I just don't find I just don't find it entertaining. As my father always said, looking at a match for ninety minutes, nil nil at the end of ninety minutes. <laughs> so never a, lot, a lot of it. matches aren't nil nil. I know that too. Yeah, I just like uh, this Wolves Liverpool match tonight will uh, more than I, I, ho- I, ho- I hope I hope it's nil nil. After <laughs> all this, no, I just I was just never I've never soccer maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah, I would have been enthused by it. Not just not now. No, I just no. I kind of fell out fell out all over it really. Yeah, like I, I could see why people fall out of love with the sport because of this, the sport losing its soul. But for the actual game, like I, I can see why you know why Americans say, oh, you know, don't get into the soccer because they haven't grown up with it. But I think mm. all, well, not all our heroes, but like a vast majority of our heroes growing up were the, from the soccer team that we supported. Like it's from the GEA teams, obviously, but the soccer team was like they're they're the posters on the wall for a lot of people. Yeah, Rob and Jones, Stiginga, Bjarnaby, they were mine. Jan Malby. Liverpool so what, Jan Malby didn't, his legacy didn't have a lasting impact on your, your view of sport? No, not really, not really, to be honest with you. My abiding memory of supporting Liverpool is the 96 FA, is 96 FA Cup final, when, uh, when 
David's, uh, David James pound out that ball to Canton. Mm. I don't know, was it 96 or 97? I think it was 96 because I think uh, Everton beat United the year before. Yeah, yeah. that was 95. So yeah. uh, and that was, uh, No, that's my, one of my wide memories. Saying that, one of my favourite sporting memories, and not just because I support Liverpool, is uh, the, when they came back from 3-0 down against AC Milan. Like, that's sporting fairy tale. That's mm. at its finest, but no, just no. I'd never, just as I've lost the Grafer to be honest with you now. And once you lose it, I don't think it's coming back. You wouldn't, Jerry uh, Kilroy wouldn't want to hear you say darts is a better sport than soccer. Uh, he he said yesterday on the show that uh, darts is Brexit down the pub. Darts is unbelievable. Like how like the margins that they're thrown within, the level of concentration it requires. They, you're talking about 10,000 10, hours of practice to master something. Those guys. And it's, it's, it's such, that's such an easy stereotypical thing to say, oh, should we have no primes throwing a few darts? Those, the, the hours those guys put in is just phenomenal. Like. Yeah. You like darts. Uh, are, you darts pro, yeah. are you now pro-Brexit because you like darts? <laughs> I don't really have much opinion. Really <laughs> That's what he said yesterday on the show, so it must be true. Yeah. You're, you're obviously not watching the darts at the moment because you're waiting for the big one. I don't. Do you believe I, I don't have the channels uh, really? But I'll go and watch William O'Connor playing tomorrow. And I actually was chatting him yesterday, do for an interview for uh, tomorrow's paper. Really interesting guy. He only took up darts at 19, right? And took it up basically because someone told him he couldn't do it. And uh, really talented guy. Yeah, and he's, he's got a good shout tomorrow night. Actually, good shout. Good shout again to the last 16. Like when I say you're waiting for the big one, I mean obviously legs. Oh, the, life. B- the BDO, yeah. yeah. When does that start? It's like the other side of Christmas. That's, yeah, about about two or three days after after the PDC. Yeah, does is going for the three timer this year. So does Does it? Yeah. Does it? Glen Durrant. Yeah. Does Glen Durrant. Yeah. Where's where's he from? Oh, somewhere in England. Somewhere in England. Most of them are most of them are from England at this stage. Yeah, yeah they usually yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, well, best luck to to Dozer. Uh, very <laughs> very warm wishes from everybody here at OTBAM. Uh, what have you got next? He's from Middlesbrough. Uh, Tommy tells me, like Middlesbrough is probably a darts hotbed. I'd imagine. Philip Power Taylor's from Sheffield, isn't he? Stoke. I Stoke. Think. Sorry, Stoke. Stoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anywhere with kind of a, a good kind of coal mining background is probably mm. Darren's hotbed. And like, what, like I remember you saying about you were saying about Rob Cross that being one of the stories of the year. I don't know if you read that piece in the the Guardian last yeah, week. Yeah, that was very powerful. Actually, that was yeah. like that was that was brilliant stuff. Yeah, in fairness, like, and just how his how his uh, how his uncle pulled him out of bed to go and play in the qualifying tournament and this kind of crack and the high of it all, going from the down of it all. Like, darts is is a crazy kind of a thing as well. Even the concentration that's required. To throw it all, like yeah. why it's absolutely going ninety in the background. So it's amazing. We've got darts in the top ten. Let's let's go from one to ten because it's easier to compile a list this way. Michael Verney's top ten sports. Oh, Jenny. Um, What's your favourite sport? Hurling. Hurling. Hurling one. Um, Naturally. Probably snooker two. I'd say snooker. Right. Okay. Snooker two. Um, three. Let me see. Um, horse racing three. Yeah. Two or three. Yeah. Um, probably da- tennis four. Darts five. That's your top five. Yeah, that's my five. Yeah, and then where where, well, where does wrestling come into this? Wherever you want it to come into this. Yeah. Six. I put right. We put right. If, if if wrestling comes into it, an actual sport, it's, yeah. pro- it's probably two. Realist- Number two, right? Okay, Real- so realistically, gets, yeah. Uh, bumped down. Then athletics would come in maybe six or seven. six or seven. Then as well. And then what's eight, nine, ten? Uh, Gaelic football probably eight. <laughs> that's bad. It is Hurl- bad. Hurling's one and Gaelic is eight. That's just that's that's just my opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, what else have we got left then after that? Not soccer anyway. Rugby? Yeah, I'd have rugby in there just about. And golf. Golf. Yeah. Here we go. That, there's that, your top 10. 10 to and then just roughly what number would soccer be? We're talking 15? Are we talking Yeah, 20? about 15. I'd say, yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Obviously, if Ireland are playing. 
Yeah. You know, you'd obviously sit down, <laughs> maybe not recently, you'd do well go through 90 minutes of that. But uh, some of the best sporting moments, of course, have been Irish football as well, like yeah, in fairness. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just, uh, I've just never really got into the League of Ireland. I'd love to, I'd love to start going to a couple of games. So and, I, and, I, and, I probably, and I probably should, to be honest with you. And you need to go to... Uh, you need to go to the wrestling event in Dublin soon yeah, as well. Yeah, 100%. Uh, OTT. As is promised, yeah. Uh, yourself and Darren Cleary are going to bring me along. I just said I'd leave it live for a couple of months because I said some stuff and I was probably going to get beaten up if I went <laughs> a couple of months ago. So uh, we, put, we put a pause on that. Uh, you've got a couple more of the papers. Yeah, I do indeed, yeah. Uh, the Racing Post has rising to the occasion, so that's all to do with Wolves. Wolves could show off big game mentality again. And then the front end, Ascot Aces, so there's some good racing at Ascot over the weekend, a long walk hurdle. <laughs> Uh, love and respect lead Gigginstown bid for fifth Savile's chase so Michael O'Leary has kind of dominated some of the big races uh, at Leopardstown so so uh, Road to Respect is one of the leading favourites along with goal, current Gold Cup favourite presenting Percy for the Savile's chase uh, the Sun pay up I said Jose will be sacked you owe me 20 grand that's uh, Alexis Sanchez it's, I'd imagine you could be that flippant about 20 grand well, when you're earning half a million a week, you probably can it's be bananas, isn't it? It is. It's just that—that's one thing as well. I—I I can't get my head around about soccer and how they can't cap salaries or how they can't cap, um, you know, wa- not wages, uh, transfer fees and things like that because it's just spiraling out of control completely. Yeah. Like, it's too many I mean? independent uh, adjudicators almost, and too many different parties that have invested stakes. Like as bad as the NFL has is, and the problems it has at a structural level in terms of controlling what uh, franchises can and can't do in terms of wage caps and stuff like that is brilliant because mm. it leads to such even competition and every team, not every team, but a lot of teams have their day in the sun. No, it's brilliant it's like just, that, isn't it? Yeah, fair Soccer yeah. obviously is just way too big a thing for, for that to ever be. If one league does that, then they're essentially just killing themselves in the competitive race to the top or to the bottom, depending on your worldview, I guess. Yeah. And just the last one then is, is the Irish Daily Star. Uh, mutiny is the headline. Players forced United to d- dismiss Mourinho. A good old player power story. Hard beat it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what, the four of them went to the board, I think, to say that uh, we're going to leave. We're going to hand in transfer yeah, requests. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, unless yeah. you sack Jose Mourinho. That's a real GA story. Oh. We're not going to play under this man. We're not going to play under this manager, but the contract <laughs> It actually away. is. <laughs> it actually is. You can say that soccer's lost its soul, but that is a GA story right there. Uh, so we're going to bring you our first clip with the McC- uh, McKenna brothers, Aaron and Stevie McKenna here uh, in just a moment we're going to do a couple of Manchester United videos first um, we've got uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, chatting to Manchester United television last night well, it's, no it's great it's uh, it feels like coming home I have to say it's uh, it's been now uh, a few whirlwind days of course it's been like uh, very hectic but uh, just great to see everyone again it's six months, and I'm gonna enjoy the ride. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm back home, uh, if you like. And it's, it's about seeing the players, seeing the staff. It's about, uh, uh, of course, just being myself. Uh, I know that the club's now running a process to to find the next manager, so I'm just gonna be uh, myself in the in the meantime uh, with Mick, of course, and Kieran and Michael, and the rest of the staff. We'll just get the players enjoying football and looking forward to, to seeing the supporters again. Games coming up is no problem because you've got this squad, amazing squad of uh, players. We've got 20, 23, 24 odd players. Uh, they're all quality and they'll all get a chance now because uh, uh, with, with the amount of games coming up, as you say, we've, they got a chance to, to show that they're Man United players. So my main focus 
of course, will be on us how we want the team to play. And then we'll give him one or two details about the opposition. Yeah, fairly optimistic stuff from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in his first interview yesterday, speaking on MUTV. Then on Off the Ball last night, John Giles had his say on how he see things progressing. I don't think it's modern. I don't think it makes sense, Nathan. You know, when 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 you when you say about Liverpool, like all those guys were part of the winning setup. They they succeeded uh, winning managers, and that worked for a long time, as you know, for uh, uh, for Liverpool. I mean, this guy hasn't been at the club for whatever he's whenever he left four, four or five years ago or more. And to be quite honest, when he played, he never struck me as one of the leading characters in the team. Now, that's that, 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 the way he played, you know. I mean, you could tell straight away Keane has that character about him and, and Gary Neville and Sergio Ferris. But I never never saw that in Solskjaer. Now, that might be unfair on him because you'd, I don't know him in a private way and what he's doing at the club. But I would have, I, I, I would have, I feel that from Manchester United's point of view, I think I, they would should have gone for a more experienced manager. And forget about the... the, the, uh, the connection with the past. Mm. You know, the past is past. Solskjaer's gone. Feelings come back. He would, they were all part of a different uh, situation altogether. It's five years since Ferguson left. Five years, Nathan. And they were part of that at that particular time. Mm. I, 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 I'm only my opinion. I don't think it's a good appointment for them. Yeah. It, it, like caretaker managers come in all the time. Ogba, for example. <laughs> Well, that's, I guess, one of the challenges that he's going to have to face. I think Pogba, will, you'll see more and more and more and more of Pogba now, right. Nathan, than ever before. Because that's what he is. He's got a head about himself, you know, uh, a huge head about himself. Um, and I think, he will, I think he will dominate. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't dominate the situation there. Yeah, John Giles there. Paul Pogba, big head about himself. A huge head which requires a hairdresser to follow him around. Yeah. <laughs> that's he goes to, yeah. He brought a hairdresser with him to the World Cup. Yeah, that's that's the brand though, isn't it? It's like if if that's going to get him an extra fifteen thousand Instagram likes, then that that hairdresser is worth having in tow. Oh God, sad. It's sad, but it's, uh, there's probably truth in that. Um, interestingly, this kind of ties in with uh, Leader's question, which is our new Stuart Lancaster podcast. You should check it out. Uh, this whole uh, idea of creating a culture. Now, on this week's uh, episode. Stuart Lancaster was joined uh, by author John Gordon. Ger is also in studio here. Uh, and they chat about changing the culture from inside a sports team. Have a look at this. Um, for me, you know, I, we had great success coaching the England, the England team, but equally, you know, on the, on the biggest stage, the, the failure. And um, what, what, what helps me um, in, in a certain way um, deal with it is helping other teams learn from what I could have done better. Now, I haven't written a book. Um, because I don't feel it's the right place or the right time to do that, but I'm more than happy to share what I learned with teams and organisations to help them improve and learn from the things I possibly could have done better as the leader or what could have happened in the environment. And we're talking about you know, the most incredible pressure um, on, on a team, a home World Cup, you know, it's uh, um, third biggest sport event in the world. So, you know, it, it has um, helped me deal with it by, by sharing what I've learned. And uh, I think there's... there's uh, a lot of lessons that, that hopefully have, have passed on. Did you read you went in the locker room first after the World Cup? Yeah, it was after, yeah. No, no, it was, uh, I read it less than six months ago. I think, um, I'd need to check, uh, John, with you, but I think one thing that Mike said in the book about he should have fought, he fought, could have fought for the culture harder. Would that be right? Yep, yep. He said that. He, um, after their their loss to San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. You know, they were one play away from going to the Super Bowl, the biggest you know game in, in America. 
they became an organization that was focused on the outcome and the results and the expectations of the world and of others and their ownership. And they got away from all the little things that made them successful and their culture. And so Mike says he allowed it to happen. And as all this pressure was coming in from the outside, he should have built the culture even more and focused even more on the culture. But he got caught up in, if I just win, they'll leave me alone. And that's where we fall short and we, we go down the wayside when that happens. No, we got to continue to invest and build the culture, doing the little things that got us there. I love what you said, Stuart, about you know the world stage. There's nothing more pressurized, nothing more like stressful than what you do mm. as a leader. That's why I love coaching. I love what Stuart has to deal with on a daily basis, and I admire them so much because there's no more, there's nothing more pressure in the world. Like when you, when I fail on a, on a test or when I fail on a talk, you know, okay, maybe 500 people will be there, maybe a thousand at the most. When you fail on world stage, millions mm. see your fail. That's yeah. rough. That's very interesting. The idea of what was the winning culture at Manchester United, that when he talks about a team that was going for a Super Bowl, you always think about this big, sprawling structure which tends to pertain to American football, whereas what was the winning culture at Manchester United? It was largely based on the cult of the manager who had real control over the dressing room to a certain extent, that you instilled fear in certain players, and that's how I I view it on the outside looking in. That that's that's how he created that winning culture, which seems far far more simplistic than what John Gordon's talking about there. And Manchester United, obviously, post Fergie, is just this far different organizational structure. Even even during Fergie, to be honest with you, but like as soon as the Glazers came in, and you just wonder how did they get back to that point? It seems that they're at the point of no return that obviously the new manager who comes in next summer is just going to have to adapt to the structure that is vastly different to the one pre-2004. It's funny what you say, like, uh, you compare Fergie to maybe someone like Brian Cody, shall we say, um, probably similar types of leadership, even though I think Cody's kind of adapting his kind of leadership style mm. a bit now, but it was interesting to hear Tommy talking yesterday about how they just, he, the one thing he instilled, if they're talking about culture and like that, was spirit that the team would have a massive massive spirit and regardless of results or anything like that that they were enjoying themselves despite as all the effort they were putting in all the hardships they were going through that they were always enjoying themselves and that if if you're doing that that has a knock-on effect of things just start going a lot better because we're enjoying each other's company and training we're enjoying the crack we enjoy coming training we enjoy playing matches we enjoy going the extra mile for each other on the pitch and by, by instilling one thing, he was helping the outcome and increasing the percentage of chance of the outcome being in their favour an awful lot. At the moment in, in Manchester United, like, I don't know, like, there, is, there an, is there any culture there at the moment? Like, there's, is, there's, it's certainly a club in limbo. Yeah, like, are there any homegrown players? Have they, have they like, say, the class of 92, shall we say, would have backboned that, that team, a lot of homegrown players... But they still have a good academy yeah. and like feeding them through to the first team. That There's still an excellent record there in terms of okay. a constant string of matches where they have an academy player in there. Now, I could be corrected on the actual rate that that's happening. Mm. It could be a lot slower than it previously was. I'm sure it is. But it's actually just interesting, even just the pure person that's speaking there, not John Gordon, but in Stuart Lancaster and the parallels between him and potentially Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the fact that, I guess, you talk to anybody about Stuart Lancaster, say, re- rewind the clock three years ago today, and you ask somebody, Stuart Lancaster, what do you think of him? And they're like, Stuart Lancaster, the guy who failed miserably with England. He's a useless coach. I'm sure there are some people who are saying, saying that about him. Look at him now. Say to anybody, what do you think of Stuart Lancaster? And they're like, Stuart Lancaster, one of the best coaches in the world. Yeah. That that one failure 
would have defined that man three years ago. And he's, I guess, Leinster are very lucky that they had the open-mindedness to actually say this is a, would be an excellent appointment. And it's turned out to be an absolute masterstroke that, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, what do you think of the manager of Solskjaer? You think Cardiff City and the absolute failure that was Cardiff City, which is unfair. Yeah, just, just rewind Solskjaer's managerial career back a bit. Like, had he a good record coming into the to the Cardiff City job? Had he what had he achieved? A, a well, fair? like he achieved what you would expect to achieve at Mulder. Like, but yeah. ultimately, it is a very different ball game. The fact that they took him back the second time suggests that he's like held warm in their hearts for sure. But I'm not sure is there more of a sentimental value than there really is there. Mm. By all accounts, he's a very very good coach. The thing is, once you get him into the, mixing with the big boys in the Premier League, he clearly fell flat in his face. Yeah. Um, so. I think everybody's worth uh, deserves a second chance in that respect. Hundred percent. Like you have to see, you have to think about what what got Stuart Lancaster to that level. Like they don't like nobody, no ordinary Joe gets the England job. Yeah. He obviously had a serious CV behind him. He obviously had a very very good track record with teams he was with, with developing players. And you can't like we're so um, we're so prone to overreaction like because of one thing, and particularly in the GA. Like you could look at a team, it could be a club team who have. Not won a county title in three years, but have been so close and progressed so much. And the players love playing under the manager, they love the style of play, they love everything about. And just because they don't win, like 90% of the Egypts will just say, ah, sure, he was a failure, it wasn't a success. Whereas anybody that could, can look inside and see the bigger picture would see that he, was a, he or she was a, a massive success. Yeah. And like, you can't be just determined by the only one team can win at the end of the day. You have to kind of look at it a bit more. You have to look at what sort of position he or she left the team in. Mm. Are they in a better place? With, with GA, a lot of teams a lot of teams aren't left in a better place. Uh-huh. Lads leave when they've extracted everything they can out of it and the arse is just about to fall out of it. And the other, some other, other guy comes in and tries to pick up the pieces. Yeah. Whereas, and that's often the yeah, and you can't be just fair enough that World Cup that World Cup didn't work out well for England, but like Andy Farrell and Stuart Lancaster have they obviously have used what got them to that level, that didn't work out, and they've gone and kind of re energised now and like look at where they are now. Lancaster there's a fair chance he'd be involved with Farrell at Caesar. Very high possibility. Yeah. He says um he's very happy with Leinster. But uh, he's always open. He's all ears. He's always going to listen to to the offer and stuff like that. So uh, that's probably a decision that's coming down the line. That'll, that'll be the, the next big saga next year. Is yeah. will he won't he in terms of joining Andy Farrell? He's fascinating to listen to. Ah, he, is, he, yeah. really, he really is. He did a piece, questions. Yeah, he did a piece with him I think last year. Maybe uh, Jura one of you were talking to him for about an hour just about coaching and everything. And it's just he tries to uh, the big thing he tries he always says is to coach in chaos. Like yeah, have so many things else, going yeah. on in the player's mind that everything they should be so frazzled that they make the wrong decision, but you train them so that t- as time goes on, they keep making the right decision despite everything that's madness that's going on around. Really interesting block. Yeah, it is Leaders Questions with Stuart Lancaster. It's sponsored by Cisco.ie. You can check it all out on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Brought to you in association, as I say, with uh, Cisco Systems and uh, Exertis Ireland, providing a secure, intelligent platform for digital business. To learn more, visit intelligentit.ie. Right, we're bringing you uh, an interesting piece now on OTBAM. The McKenna brothers, Aaron and Steve, two young lads you'll be hearing a lot more about over the next few years. They're home for Christmas. They're home actually training at Christmas, as you'll hear here. Uh, they joined me in the studio yesterday morning for a chat about life in LA, working with Golden Boy Promotions, Oscar De La Hoya's uh, organisation, and the early days in their exciting professional boxing careers. Right, I am delighted to say that we've got two of the stars of 2018 with us in the studio now. Aaron McKenna, Stephen McKenna, you're very welcome. Thanks very much. Welcome home, first yeah, of all. It's good to be back in Ireland. 2018 hasn't been bad. 
Yeah, it's been a great year so far. So it has. Um, I've had six pro fights and four of them by knockouts, and I've learned a lot in the past year, and I've really developed into a nice style. So have, and I just can't wait to see what next year holds for me, and it's going to be an exciting year ahead. Absolutely. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of how 2018 has developed for you. Stevie as well, it's not been a bad year for you. You signed up with Golden Boy as well, and uh, your first fight, your first professional fight coming in the new year. Yeah, I'm hoping to make my debut in February, sometime maybe the end of February. And it's been a great year for me as well, learning a lot from Aaron as well, how he's did and how he's uh, been doing in the ring. So it's a great experience for me. The whole year I've been out since January last year, and I've been sparring with all world champions, uh, Vasil Lamachenko as well, who's mm. the pound for pound number one. It's an unbelievable experience, like you wouldn't get it anywhere else in the world. Your Twitter profile is incredible. If you just click the media tab, the amount of people... I think you're a little bit more prolific posting on Twitter than you are, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, like we'll, we'll go through some of those pictures later on, but it's just a who's who of the boxing world and indeed of the celebrity world. Like You mentioned that you've learned a lot from Aaron. I'm sure you've learned a lot from Stevie as well and from your older brother, Gary. So basically there's three of you in the family growing up in Smithborough and County Monaghan. Uh, when did you first lace up a pair of gloves? You, I suppose we'll start with you first of all, Stevie, because I presume it gets younger and younger and younger the, the, the further down the chain you go in the McKenna family? Uh, well, I started when I was eight years old. Uh, I used to do, actually start off I started off in karate. My dad used to right. run a karate club, and we started off, in, both me and Aaron, but uh, we didn't really like, like it that much, and then we, we said we'll go to the boxing club and try it, and then the minute we went there, we fell in love with it. Like It was just unbelievable. We loved it. Why? What gave you a better rush than uh, karate? What, what, was, what was it about boxing? I don't know, it was just going into the ring and sparring and that. I just loved punching, like fighting people. You know, karate at the start, it was more, you know, you didn't really get to spar with each other in it. So you got to punch people and all. So <laughs> I, liked it when, I liked it when I was younger. Like So Aaron as well, he, he started with me at the same time. So both of us went down to our local club. I'm guessing you probably didn't have an option in all of this. It was either going to be boxing or no sport at all for you. No, at the time as well, I was doing karate. Right, okay. Yeah, so, but in karate, you didn't really get to hit anyone. So in boxing, you did, and we enjoyed that. So we've been training. Uh, I've been training ever since I was six. And my dad built a boxing gym at the back of the house. So ever since we started boxing, we've been training all there, us three, me, Gary and Stephen just sparring with each other our whole lives nearly and we've uh, pushed each other on and we're all really competitive with each other in training especially me and Stephen now over in America even if it's running we're competitive with each other or sparring and uh, even in sparring if it ever got heated that's good because uh, we get razor sharp out of each other Razor sharp indeed. It is Aaron on the left, Stevie on the right. Uh, they're the McKenna brothers. They're home for Christmas. And we're going to go to another clip here. Some footage of the lads training and fighting over in the United States. The full 30-minute interview, by the way, is going to be up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Here's the next part of the interview. They, they look re really well after me and Aaron. Everything's there for us. Like We have uh, apartment and all sorted for us. So, uh, we also have a great coach as well, Courage Tijabala. Yeah, he, he's a really good coach. He's he's big as well. He's but the same height as us, and we need that. You know, when we're in the pads, and not a big lad to be able to hold them for us. That's uh, that's you, Steve. <coughs> he was a heavyweight, wasn't he? Yeah, he's heavyweight. Uh, Thirty-five, twenty-six. Uh, 
wins, and uh, he was a hard hitter, so he was. How good a trainer is he? Yeah, he's really good. He's uh, he's very smart and tactical, technical, and uh, we we really take them. So uh, he's he's strong. He's very good in the pads as well. He's smart. So basically, you've had. Am I right in saying that you've had two full-time trainers in your life? Your father and Curtis Chabalala. Yeah. How similar are they? Yeah, they both think very alike. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, my dad as well. He's been training us our whole life, so he's he, him and Courage is looking after us. So both of them uh, show like do different things with us. And they work together and they're a really good team. Yeah, they work well together. Together. I wanted to ask you about this. So you're light welterweight. So say, Aaron, if we talk about you, I think you're six foot one. Six foot one. Yeah. That's quite tall for a light welterweight. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's very tall. Um, very tall. Well, not very, but. Tall, like most people at that weight would probably be like 5'10". That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, so at what point, like obviously we can see the, the strength conditioning here and we can see from any boxer really once they get into their 20s, you mentioned having 15 fights under your belt or something by the age of 23 when you start to build up as they call man strength and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Is that even a factor for you? Because like we've seen some of your knockouts, we've seen that that power is there even though some people might not see it in weigh-ins or whatever it may be, like that you actually have that and that the idea of your body shape isn't actually what dictates how much power you have. Yeah, um, um, my last fight there, I dropped uh, the guy with a body shot. and that Yeah, was just, we have the footage here, actually. Yeah, and and it was just the placement of the shot, you see. Once you hit the right spot, they'll go down. But in another few years, once I get my man strength, that's when I'll really start shining through but you're still able to do this so we're going to get yeah. uh, we, we've seen him go down there and uh, I think we might get a, a replay of it in a sec talk us through this here so you obviously get the, the left in there at that point do you see an opening in his stance and you think straight away that's an opportunity to finish him or are you actually surprised by the fact that he goes down uh, no because um, when you're fighting people like that when you hit, hit them with the head shots they don't really like get hurt too much it's the body shots that really hurt them and that's uh, something that we've been working on in the gym over this past year is the body shots and uh, once you go to the body they're, they'll just fall and it showed in that fight that it really worked. You say that you're very tall for uh, light welterweight. How can you use your height as an advantage? Uh, I have a long reach too and a lot of people were comparing me to Thomas Hitman Hearns. Mm -hmm. uh, when I met Mickey Ward that time and he seen some of my footage, that's what he said to me. I'm like him and I get good leverage behind my punches and that's what I have to do is just keep my reach and get good leverage behind the long arms. And how do you manage to build that up? Is that something that you have naturally, do you feel, getting that leverage or is it something that you can teach and develop later in life? Uh, yeah, it's something that Courage has been teaching us in the gym. Just uh, a good solid jab as well and just going behind the jab and the combinations will come. Yeah, interesting stuff there from Aaron McKenna. The idea of being six foot one and being a light welterweight, like the average height for a light welterweight is five foot ten. Like so the kind of regular weight for a light welterweight is hundred and forty pounds. If he puts on seven pounds, which he's probably going to do when he gets his man strength, as he says, like that's hundred and forty seven pounds for a welterweight and then light middleweight then is hundred and fifty four pounds. Like the spectrum of weight class for this guy is incredible, but I guess there is balancing that with the idea of the fact that his height and his reach is such an advantage for him at this point. Yeah, it's, it was kind of like Conor McGregor fighting a featherweight. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You have a lot of natural advantages or whatever. Like in, his punches at 
four, since they're 14 pounds higher than what he's fighting at the moment mightn't hurt lads as much as they would at that light welterweight, you know what I mean? So, And he's going to find it very hard to be hit at light welterweight as well. Well, the thing you were observed there, actually, yeah. from that uh, from the lads throwing the ball at each other, was that Aaron wasn't taking a single back step. No, he never moved at all. Like, it like was just, He can take a punch. He was, it was been pegged right at, right at the, the core area, and he was just standing and giving it back twice as hard, Like whereas his brother probably was pushing back a small bit. But yeah. to be fair, Aaron's probably been in that sort of training for a bit longer than him as True. well. But um, it's fascinating. And we were talking about like the Irish, the wealth of talent in sports as well. Like You have these guys, Golden Boy picked Aaron McKenna up when he was with 17. Like. Mm. You know what I mean? Like 16, I think, 16, when, like when he initially had the first interest. Yeah. Bananas, really, like, when you think about it, like, it's crazy, like. You were saying that boxing would have actually been in your top ten had we given you a warning of your top ten uh, sports. Ah, yeah, yeah. Creed 2 is probably in your top two, three movies of the year. I was actually, I went in with little expectation and I thought, I thought it was fantastic, and I have to say, yeah. It was probably, Slice Stallone's probably best performance, I would say, probably since the original Rocky. Oh. Yeah. That is a big statement yeah, from Michael Hurley this morning. I, I thought it was brilliant. Soccer down yeah. in your top 10 sports. Sylvester Sloan <laughs> back to his best. They are hot takes this morning. Yeah, and I thought it was, re- I thought it was really good now, yeah. For, like, for anyone who loves like, the Rocky franchise, they'll be absolutely delighted with this. Definitely better than Creed, the original Creed and Rocky Balboa. Uh, Rocky Balboa is not great. It's not great. No, I, I think Rocky Five is seriously underrated. So it, it comes in, comes in somewhere in around that. I think. So what are we knocking out of your top ten then, Michael? So we've got hurling, wrestling, snooker, horse racing, tennis, darts, athletics, Gaelic football, rugby, golf, and now uh, rugby. boxing. Rugby. Goodbye, rugby. Uh, so rugby and soccer don't make your top ten sports. Um, that's uh, controversial there. What, what about <laughs> what about the Irish Independent Sports Star of the Year, Johnny Sexton? Doesn't even it doesn't even make it into your top ten sports, let alone uh, as an individual. No, I have a massive appreciation for what <laughs> for what he does. Don't worry. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I just um, a lot of it with the soccer is I we, we still don't have Sky or anything like that, so I don't get the opportunity to watch a lot of very it. good points. Rugby as well, sure. All that's most of that is on Sky now as well, so I wouldn't get a chance to watch it as well. You know, very very Whereas, good point. You know, Darts, BDOs on Channel 4 and Snookers on BBC pivotal. and Eurosport. And yeah, that's absolutely pivotal in fairness. Boxing, can I just say, boxing is great. It's coming back a bit now. Looking back into but I think the, some of the best sports books are boxing books. Ah, yeah, without question. Oh, some of them are, like they mentioned Thomas Hearns there. There's a, there's a brilliant book called The Four Kings. Mm. It's just talking about Hearns, uh, Hagler, uh, Sugar, Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and it's just phenomenal going through all the different fights between them all and it's great that even the Tyson Fury and Wilder fight has brought the buzz back a bit and if one of them do go on to fight Joshua now as well the buzz is kind of back you need in, a strong I think you need a strong heavyweight division ah, you do sport, yeah right? it, car- it, car- it carries it really like, yeah. do you know what I mean like, yeah. uh, so one more clip here from the McKenna brothers uh, we told you life was good in Santa Monica here is the cast of celebrities that have made it onto Stevie's Twitter page we were just walking down the street and then Stephen heard someone whistling behind him and he looked around and he said, there's Adam Sandler. <laughs> straight away, just whipped out the phone to get a picture with him. Get a we're, conversation with him? Yeah, we were talking to him for a couple of minutes and his bodyguard was actually from Ireland. Ah, right. He was, yeah, and he seemed to have a keen interest in boxing too. Do you know who you guys were? He didn't know who we were, but like we told him we were. Uh, I was signed with Golden Boy Promotions and... He seemed like, yeah. And then later on that day when we were coming back from the gym, we were pulling into the alley, you know, to park at the apartment. And we seen him driving out and my dad pulled down the window and had another conversation with him. So right, okay. Seen him twice in one day. <laughs> it's unheard of, like. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Just bumping into these people randomly. And then uh, we met Kendrick Lamar too at the gym. Yeah. 
So um, we're. You may as well get the, the picture up of uh, Kendrick now. Um, there's a couple of images of Kendrick Lamar actually. Uh, this is the one really that that uh, kind of went all around the world and back here. And I think people kind of uh, sat up and took notice for a moment. It was. Uh, so what was he like? Oh yeah, he's very sound. Yeah, really nice guy. And yeah, we met him. That's the first time we met him at the gym. And he watched me and Stephen spar too. And then afterwards we were talking to him and. He had a keen interest in boxing as well. And, and that's your dad on the left and Courage on the very left, isn't it? Yeah, that's them, yeah. And, and the Monaghan flag on the right, most importantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, who would have thought you'd see Kendrick Lamar beside the Monaghan yeah. flag? <laughs> um, that, that there was just before my fight. He came in to wish me luck, so he's a really nice guy. Is he? Yeah. Big boxing fan? Yeah. Are you a big fan of Kendrick? Yeah, like... yeah, like. Better say that after you've met him now. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's incredible. Like, it's it, it must be mad just thinking that you've come from a relatively small place, albeit an extremely famous place in Monaghan when it comes to producing boxers, to within a couple of years, living in Los Angeles and pursuing a dream. And not only are you pursuing the dream, the dream is so evident and it's right there in front of you. You've signed for a promotions company run by one of the most famous combat sports athletes of all time. You're living in one of the most famous areas when it comes to celebrity culture of all time. It's not bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, yeah. But, uh, let, let's roll through some of the other uh, pictures. We've got um, uh, De La Hoya with you, Stevie, here first. Uh, and, of course, we've got a picture with you, Aaron, with uh, Oscar as well. well what's, uh, what's he like? Oh, yeah, he's, he's a great man. Um, he gives me great advice as well after every fight, and he's been to all my fights as well, so... He's, I've always uh, watched him growing up, and he's one of the best fighters out there. And uh, uh, him, Marvin Hagler, and Mike Tyson are the three styles I try to get into my style. But he he's one of the main ones. What is it about that style that you try and implement? Uh, his jab and his combinations. Yeah, he had a great job, so he did, and his combinations were unreal. And would you be watching a lot of uh, Tyson Hagler and De La Hoya videos? Yeah, growing up I always used to watch all them old footages of them and I still do to this day. And To have Oscar on my team is unbelievable and the good uh, sound supportive advice he gives me too is... What sort of advice? Uh, just like, uh, uh, like the jab is key and all that type of stuff and uh, once you can land the jab the combinations will come, stuff like that. I see Dana White's had a pop at him uh, over the last couple of days. Is he trying to make his way into the MMA arena or something like that? Didn't really, don't know, really know too much about that. Like. Yeah, it's a, just yeah. a bit of a war of words at the moment, as tends to, tends to be the case. Uh, we've got, you mentioned Lomachenko there, Stevie. We've got a picture of you with him. Is this, I dare say, the, the toughest sparring session you've ever put down? Like, obviously, there's a bit, bit of a difference there in terms of style, in terms of height, in terms of weight. Uh, what's, what's he like to be up against in the ring? Yeah, it was unbelievable to share the ring with uh, Lemonchenko. Uh, it was like a game of chess. The first couple of rounds is really technical. He, it took him a while. He, he couldn't really figure me out with my long reach and all. And uh, I had a boxing in southpaw as well, my opposite stance. So we're looking southpaw sparring. So I said, I'll spar him. Right. And I changed stance. And, uh, so there's like a, an array of people in the gym. And you volunteered basically to yeah, that, against them. I was there uh, the week before sparring, you see, and then they seen me and they said, uh, do you want to spar with Lamachenko? And uh, I said, yeah, go for it. And then we went back the next week and sparred with him and uh, did five rounds. It was And you held your own by the sounds of things. The way you're yeah, talking yeah. there, it sounds like it went pretty well. Yeah, it went good, yeah. It was, it was a very technical spar, though. It was really good. Uh, I learned a lot from it. You couldn't... 
ask for better sparring like it's unbelievable yeah uh, we'll roll on to the next image here it is uh, the man of the moment really it's uh, the two lads with Tyson oh that's oh, Amir Khan yeah. uh, Tyson Fury as well we have a picture of uh, who's a bit more of the man of the moment um, like I, I'm sure you watched the, the fight against Wilder recently how incredible from like the expertise you've built up uh, thankfully you haven't had to you haven't hit the canvas too many times in your short careers amateurs or professional just yet but what he did in, in that 12th round against Deontay Wilder, can you put into words what that takes? Yeah, it was unbelievable. I, I don't know how he got up from it, but it just shows how much like Willie had to get up from it. It was an unbelievable shot that he took, and he's a really nice guy as well. He's, Is he, yeah? Yeah, we were talking to him in the gym uh, in the wild card, so he uh, was watching us training and that, so it was good to get talking to him. Who's the best heavyweight in the world right now, in your opinion? Um, it's a hard one to call, but it is. Yeah, the Joshua and Fury and Wilders, them's the main three at the minute. But we'll find out anyway. I'd say in the next year, who is? You sure will. What about pound for pound? Do you have a favorite boxer or someone you deem to be the best? Like I think you said, Lomachenko in that tweet is is the best pound for pound boxer yeah. in the world. I'm not sure. Do you share that opinion? Uh, yeah, I think Lomachenko, either him or Canelo. Yeah. Yeah, either one of them. stable mate. Yeah. Have you met Canelo? Not yet. Not yet. No, not yet, no. So that's that's another one off the list. That's your goal for 2019 now is to get a picture uh, with Canelo Alvarez. Yeah. Uh, we've met one of the Klitschko's as well. Uh, I think these I think these are mostly from uh, from your Twitter account, Stevie. Uh, Liverpool jersey on there. Vitaly in the middle, obviously. Uh, we've seen Kendrick. Uh, Adam Sandler, you mentioned Adam Sandler. Um, here's the actual picture that you got with him. And uh, finally, Andre 3000. Oh, yeah. What's he like? Yeah, he's a really nice guy too. Um, I was just training at Iron Gym in Santa Monica, and uh, there he was training as well. I got a picture with him. He's a really nice guy too. You've got a you've got to brush up in your outcast and your Kendrick for the next couple of weeks, and yeah. uh, make sure you're a big fan setting into the new year. Yeah. That's been great to catch up with you. You said you're um, you're training at the moment. Like, is it going to be pretty much every day by our Christmas Day, or is it all, is it all the way through Christmas, or, or what's your your schedule like? Uh, yeah, we're training away at the moment. We're in maintenance mode right now. What does that mean? Well, we're training twice a day. Okay. Over in America, we train three times a day. Right. So we do. Uh, so we did a run before we came up here, and now we'll train later on when we get back. Just with your dad out the back of the house, is it? Yeah. Yeah, at the back of the gym, we'll do a boxing session. So, uh, and then we'll once we get back into Los Angeles, we'll be full on training camp mode, and back off where we left off. And when can we expect? I know you're, uh, if there's plans, you're not allowed to announce them. Do you know, uh, you said February? Yeah, we're hoping at the end of February that I'll be making my debut. Nice one. Yeah, so it'll be ex- very exciting. What about yourself, Aaron? Yeah, I have no date yet, but we're looking sometime in March. Are you gonna come, so when you come back to the studio to us in one year's time, are you both going to still be undefeated? Well, you'll have started your career. Yeah. I like, yeah. I like that confidence I like that confidence lads it's been great to meet you great to catch up and uh, congratulations on everything it's great to see two lads from Monaghan doing so well abroad and representing Ireland keep it up and best of luck for 2019 thanks, thanks very much. much great to be on
Uh, Aaron and Stevie McKenna there, home for Christmas, training at home for Christmas. Uh, they're determined young lads and they've got very, very bright futures. Things are going very well for them and very nice lads as well. You can watch the full thing back there. We only just played a couple of clips. Uh, it's about half an hour long. You can get it on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Plenty of other good stuff in there as well. Stephen Doyle is in the studio with us. The first thing Michael Verney said to him was, how about that five in a row? The first thing Stephen <laughs> said to him was, how about that seven in a row? <laughs> well, look, Jim Gavin signed up for another three years, <laughs> so it's, it's bad. And I believe... There is a clause in his new deal as well that um, they can automatically trigger the eight in a row as well once he wins the seventh. <laughs> so um, Right, okay. Yeah. Wait, sorry. Sorry. I thought that you meant that they can trigger like they can automatically win the eight in a row. Or they, he's got a, a 2022 once deal. He, once he wins the seven in a row, the, the clause is automatically triggered that he stays around for the eight in a row. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. That. And so on, yeah. if it goes eight to nine to absolutely. ten. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a rolling deal. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, Great days for Dublin, and uh, and uh, you know, uh, not the only Christmas cheer. I want to bring some Christmas cheer to you as well, Owen. Yeah. Um, the FAI confident that they're going to edge England in the race to get Declan Rice to get in. pledge his international allegiance to the boys in green. Uh, seven Rice, out of ten. I'm seven out of ten confident <laughs> right now. <laughs> He made himself unavailable, of course, to ex-Ireland manager Martin O'Neill for the Nations League game against Wales in September. But new manager Mick McCarthy is said to have had a positive meeting with the West Ham star. Uh, reports claim that former Ireland skipper Robbie Keane was also present when talks were held in London this week. Um, I think they did mention the fact as well that you had given him the International uh, Player of the Year award. Mm-hmm. And that could have been a big swing mm-hmm. in the talks. Huge swing. Rice. No, not, not just a swing. It was the single biggest reason. Declan Rice picked up the phone to Mick McCarthy and he was like, I see I was given the Keith Andrews show international player, <laughs> or sorry, Irish player of the year. Uh, can you please come and talk to me and I want to play for your country. So Absolutely. You're very welcome, Ireland. Well done. Well done, Owen. Um, Manchester United's new manager, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, will speak to the media this morning. It's his first news conference since joining the club until the end of the season from Norwegian outfit Mulder. The man he replaced, uh, Jose Mourinho, has been getting a lot of love from his fellow managers this week. Pep Guardiola, Maurizio Pochettino, and Jurgen Klopp have all expressed sympathy with the man United sacked earlier this week. The latest gaffer to pay tribute is Frank Lampard, who of course played under the Portuguese at Chelsea. They won two Premier League titles together and an FA Cup. Lampard, currently managing championship side Derby County, gave some interesting comments when asked what managerial tidbits he picked up from his old boss. Well, I I took from what Jose Mourinho did to me as a player at 25 years of age-ish was um, give me a huge amount of confidence. Of course, he's a tactician and uh, his training and uh, his um, preparation for games as a, as a group was brilliant. But for me personally, the self-confidence that he gave me as quite a slightly shy kid, I think I probably was at that point, I didn't really believe completely that where my game could get to. And he kind of dragged me up by, by my, uh, the scruff of my neck in, terms of, in footballing terms. And I'll never forget that. I just thought that was interesting because the amount of times Mourinho went out in public slating some of the younger Manchester United players... Where was the old Jose that mm. used to, you know, get younger players, put his arm around them, fill them full of self-confidence? Like Damien Duff always said as well that Mourinho was great at that kind of thing. Where's he gone? That, like that has been the misconception that the game has passed Jose by. I don't think the game changing has been the problem here. I think it might have been Jose Mourinho changing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fair point. Like he, he never looked, he never looked the same Jose at, at any stage. Did he really? Yeah. Like where was the confidence? 
the confidence in himself and I suppose the confidence uh, in himself that he would have in the team as well. Like he, ne he never seemed to have it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It was it was strange. He just, just he just looked like a different manager, which is un yeah. very unusual. Like I thought you were going to say Frank De Boer was one of the managers, <laughs> and then I, I realised that's probably fairly unlikely. But uh, yeah, it's Gasso. It's Gasso. Yeah. It just it just kind of disappeared. Well, it's, it's funny. I was watching one of those Premier League uh, season review shows there a couple of weeks ago, and there was a, a little snippet of a, a post match interview he gave, and he was like saying. Look, they'd obviously had a bad result. He said, look, you know, I'm not going to go into the dressing room and start slating the players or giving out to them. We lose as a team. I kind of go, you'd never hear him saying that yeah, now. Bizarre, you know, yeah. when a team has a bad result, he's always out kind of finding some way to criticise somebody else for his failings. Three. Three. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, the Premier League action this weekend gets underway tonight. Uh, Liverpool, no win at Wolves, will keep them top of the table this weekend. Fancy football players, get your teams ready nice and early. They go into the match a point ahead of champions Manchester City, still unbeaten in the top flight, the Reds. That game at the Molyneux kicks off at 8. The festive in season of Interpro derbies in the Guinness Pro 14 also gets underway tonight. Ulster entertain a much-changed Munster team. Head coach Johan van Gran made 13 changes for the tr trip to Kingspan Stadium. Jaco Tote will captain the province for the first time. Internationals Andrew Conway, Keith Earls, Joey Carberry, Conor Murray... Ty Byrne, Peter O'Mahony and CJ Stander all rested after that gruelling Champions Cup loss to Cast. Ulster have made three changes to the side that beat Scarlets in the Champions Cup. Ireland internationals Rory Best, Ian Henderson and Jacob Stockdale make way. Two of the new faces come into the pack. Rob Her Herring starting at Hooker, Hooker and taking over the captaincy while Lock Ian Nago returns from injury to make his first start for the province. Academy winger Robert Balcoon comes in. That one kicks off at 7.35. Of course, Leinster welcome Connacht to the RDS tomorrow. Those two teams will be announced later this afternoon. Now, uh, oh sorry, you've got more. Well, there was just, a, I know we're going to talk about albums this yeah. morning, but I was also kind of looking around this week kind of for some interesting gifts yeah. to find for people for Christmas. Um, look no further than the O'Neill's website. Um, oh. And of course, when we go to the O'Neill's website, we're looking for GAA jerseys that kind of thing. Of course, we have a few here in the studio, but I found out that the, that O'Neills are making ploughing championship jerseys. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'd say you're no stranger to the ploughing Oh, look at that. Uh, Letting off steam. Letting off steam. Uh, oh, my God. Some beautiful old ploughing machinery. I love this one with the cows. Oh, my God. And we've got the back of that cow one as well. There's some lovely line there. I'm a little Frisian. <laughs> Folks, they're, they're, they're only two of the jerseys that you can get. There's about 25 of them there. They're absolutely incredible. Some of the best O'Neill's kit I've ever seen. Michael, how many of those jerseys do you have? I don't have any, but after, <laughs> after today and I go on the website in the next 20 minutes, I'd say I have a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, uh, we, we did want to chat to you about music this year because uh, I, I brought this up on the news round last night that Off The Ball has a checkered history when it comes to our taste in music. So okay. I was listening to the show on like uh, the last week of 2009 and somebody was presenting, it might have been Jur, I don't know who it was presenting, they picked the best song of the decade on behalf of the team Off The Ball and they picked... Mr. Brightside by the Killers. So after that, you know, confidence has been dented in the organisation as, you know, a sensible organisation. All credibility was gone, but you're going to try and salvage it. Richie McCormick was on giving his album yesterday. You've got your top five albums of the year. Uh, like, Michael Darren McCauley gave us 11, so I'm not saying you're lazy or anything, but, like, sure, you know, top five is fine. <laughs> I actually had 25 on my shortlist, and I was wow. like, oh, this, what's on doing to me here, trying to get it down to five? Um, I'm going to kick off with, I think it's actually been a brilliant year for Irish music. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to see Fontaine's DC tonight. 
if anybody hasn't listened to Fontaine's DC, do. They haven't released an album yet. It's been all singles. The gig tonight, Button Factory, is all sold out. Tickets are like gold. It's, it's, now, that the, would be a good the Christmas present. This is incredible. But um, the Irish album I'm going to go for for my top five is by a guy called Kevin Smith, who goes under the name Kojak. Um, he released an album this year called Delhi Daydreams. It's, I Great suppose, cover. what you might call uh, a kind of a concept album. Look, it's hip-hop. I think... You know, hip-hop is making huge strides, especially American hip-hop, but Irish hip-hop is making massive strides. And this guy, I, I think he's just made a really intelligent hip-hop album. There's, a, you know, a lot of uh, self-analysis. It's what you might call autobiographical. There's great little, you know, he, he raps in a Dublin accent as well, which I love. Like Fontaine's, mm. their lead singer, Green, sings in his Dublin accent. I love to hear. Look, it's why Dolores O'Riordan was so popular. She sang with the Limerick accent. You know, and that's why I think somebody like Kojak is going to be successful. He is true to himself, dare I say. But, you know, he just is who he is. He so he's your number five? These my, he, no, well, I'm not going to... Well, you're not going to order them. No particular order, yeah. So I'm just going to say Kojak, Daily Daydreams, get that. <laughs> um, I, I, I just want to give a nod as well to Villagers, Conor O'Brien, great yeah. artist, that, that album, uh, The Art of Pretending to Swim. Not in the top five, but the reason I'm mentioning him is that he's on another one of my top five albums, which is Paul Weller's True Meanings. Is he on that album, yeah? Yeah, he is indeed. Does a guest song. I think it's the first track on the album. Look, as people can probably tell, I'm a massive Paul Weller fan. Love the jam. <laughs> love my mod stuff. Uh, but Paul Weller's produced this brilliant album, which he's kind of, the last couple of albums have been pretty good, but this one, he's absolutely nailed it. I think he's, he's stripped back. Paul's very influenced by a lot of the old folk uh, singers like Gordon Lightfoot, Nick Drake, these kind of brilliant uh, artists. And I think there's a huge uh, influence on this album uh, from those two guys in particular. We need to tag Graham Hunter in that tweet. So he'll be very, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. very happy with you. Um, there's a particular song called Gravity, which he did. I went to see Weller last, uh, or sorry, this year. Um, it was in February uh, in the Olympia. And you know when an artist plays a new song off a new album, you know, that's generally when people go to the bar and gets all, you know, people start chattering and whatever. But he played this tune, Gravity, and you could hear a pin drop in yeah. the Olympia. It was absolutely amazing, but um, a fantastic album. Really recommend it. Um, sticking with the guitar team, uh, moving on to Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever. Uh, the band I used to hate telling people about in the early days because I couldn't remember their name. Oh, yeah. Um, you told me about these guys about 20 times. Absolutely. Based in Melbourne. They had a couple of EPs over the last few years, Talk Tight, which I'd highly recommend as well, and the French Press. But they, I actually got to see them twice this year, once in Primavera, once here in Dublin, in Wheelands. The Dublin gig was phenomenal. Absolutely jam-packed. And they played an absolute belter of a gig. It's what, what you'd call indie kind of jangle pop. Um, yeah. It's it's just brilliant. It's guitar music. It's uh, it's just stripped back. Excellent, brilliant melodies. Great songs. Great voices. Just amazing, amazing album. Um, so that's that there from Australia. So we're into your top two. I'm taking this as a five to one. I'm I'm just going to take. I'm going to take. Okay, that okay, okay. We'll go. Uh, the next one then is Aku. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Aku is uh, she's half half Welsh, half Dutch. She's produced this fantastic. I suppose you call it electronic. Uh, psychedelia uh, definitely influences on maybe likes of Can, uh, Craftwork, uh, Air as well. Be another band I'd kind of say she's influenced by, but uh, just some brilliant, brilliant electronic music. If you're into electronic stuff, uh, I'd highly recommend this. Really good. She's half Dutch, half Welsh, as all the great uh, people are. Just go, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the final one. Drum roll, please, lads. <laughs> Ed Sheeran. This is, this is number one because Owen wants it to be number one, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is John Hopkins. 
who I'm sure most people who are into electronic and dance music are very familiar with, John Hopkins. Um, it's a funny thing about this album, I, when I heard it first, I wasn't sure about it. And you know sometimes when you, when you hear an album, Grower. but then actually go to a gig by that person. So I went to see John Hopkins at uh, Body and Soul this year in June. And when I saw it live, the whole thing just made sense. It was incredible. I'd, how do you describe it? together. Absolutely. It's sparse. It's fast. It's it's you know electronic. You know, it's soundscapes. It's it's just it's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing album. It sounds just amazing, doesn't it? Like I know you're a big fan of this. I was expecting. Yeah, I was, I was, I was expecting to go left field with this list, but this is extremely hipster. So congratulations on all of that. Um, we, uh, I, can't, I don't know what they're trying to say to me. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, one last thing before we get uh, Alan Quinlan in is um, the soccer list or the top ten sports list. It's the one last thing we wanted to get you yeah. to kind of have a take on soccer not being the top ten sports in the world. What, what's your take on that? So, th- this is this is something that's been taken taken the storm this morning. What's the Vladimir Putin said? Soccer is popular. Isn't that the famous line? Um, <laughs> look, if, if Vladimir Putin said it's popular, of course it is. Uh, who, who, who made this list? Who, who said it's... Who said well, Michael Verdi made this list. Oh, right. It's, Sorry, it's Michael, he put, me, he put me on the spot and I said soccer's not in my top ten. Oh, Michael. Well, I can't see... What, what have you got ahead of it? Hockey Hurl- in there? Hurling, right. uh, snooker, darts, boxing, wrestling, horse racing... Um, I can forget the other four, but they were all there on merit. Horse racing isn't even a sport; it's uh, it's people on on animals uh, going around in circles. So that's you know you can make move that one out of there, put soccer in. That's what I'd say. Interesting. That is an interesting <laughs> take at uh, eight fifty-five this morning, and you've got to go do a bulletin at nine o'clock. This is something that we could get into for an hour. Thank you very much for your list. Cheers, uh, Thank you very much for your list as well. Like you're going to stay with us. We're going to get Alan Quinlan in studio next. But before all that, Tommy Walsh joined us in studio for a Christmas special on OTBAM yesterday morning. You can listen back to the podcast or watch it on YouTube as well. Here's a quick clip. This year has been a strange year. Yeah, um, it has. Um, it hasn't. I, I don't think that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I think I love it as much as you could possibly love it. So, but it, it does. It, it, like I love being, say, a part of it as regards playing in it, um, as much as as watching it is great. But I do think that to be involved in it, whether that's as a water carrier, as a selector, as a manager, as a physio, as just to be part of of it, is even more special. So if, if you're watching the. These club campaigns or the, the Limerick, the, the, the Limerick win in the All Ireland, like, and if you see all the boys around it, not just the players, not just the manager, but the management teams or people that are closely involved with it, the enjoyment they're getting out of it is even another level again. Mm. So, what I would hope is that we keep remembering that, that yes, it's great as a supporter and we love it, but what's even more special is to be part of it and to be involved in it in some way. So, um, yeah, no, it is. Tis, tis that's been a, a hectic few months. Uh, th- like, did you think, so say, obviously the club was very different, but when it came to actually playing with Kilkenny, that you appreciated it as much as you could have? Like, did, did you kind of soak it in as much as you could have when you realised that you were part of one of the greatest teams of all time? Yeah, we did. We did, because we were lucky enough, whilst with the media we weren't, you know, too open. or Like, we a great crack, like, you know, and the characters we had on our team are huge, huge characters. And, you know, we just never allowed that into, you know, giving interviews because we wanted to win. But, like, our dressing rooms were epic. Uh, you know, after training, before training, while we took training serious, the, 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 around that, even after our victories and our losses, our winters, we were very close. Like, you know, the, the, we were like a club team, really. Like, whilst, you know, you didn't have to be best friends with everyone. Like, 
you had great friends in there that it was like they were your school friends and um, we were lucky enough that I wouldn't look back and say right I forsake I forsake, forsake because Brian Cody probably his, his mantra going in was that he'd create a spirit that couldn't be broken we all know that at this stage so that was our number one and the winning came after that made it that bit more special yeah, the Christmas Tommy Roach special there. You can watch it back on our YouTube. Uh, we are turning to Ropey. Alan Quinlan's here. Very good morning to you. Morning, Owen. How are you, Michael? You didn't stay as late as uh, Michael did at the Independent Awards no, last I night, didn't. no? he had a little lie-in this morning. I was up early, but uh, it was a great night. It was um, no surprise that Johnny Sexton got um, Sports Star of the Year. I think uh, he's been phenomenal this year and got World Rugby Player of the Year a few weeks ago and um, main driver behind a lot of success in Leinster and, and in Ireland. So it was, um, it was a great night. There was a lot of great sports people there. The, the ladies' hockey team were honoured again, uh, which is what their achievements over the summer were, were outstanding. And uh, it's just nice to be in a room with so many people who have achieved a lot of success this year for Irish sport. Yeah, um, nice time of the year to enjoy it as well. Yeah, I met Kelly Harrington in the in the lift um, yeah. in the hut in in the Crow Park Hotel just before the event, and it was nice to see her as well. Her her win a few weeks ago was was incredible, but uh, great year for Irish sport in general. But it was a good night. You were just saying at the top of the show that it's when it comes to like football fans, it's like an incredible time of the year to just sit back and just completely indulge in sport over the next couple of days. Rugby has obviously turned into that over the last few years, where like you completely, you can completely immerse yourself in it for these next few, I guess these next ten days or so with the interpros. The way it's kind of set up with team, uh, team sheets and all that, we can see the fixtures on screen starting with Ulster against Munster tonight, uh, and then Leinster against Connacht tomorrow, and then the following week it's Connacht against Ulster and Munster against Leinster. But I was just going to say there, when it comes to uh, the team sheets, of course, more in the new year as well, that the idea of these being huge games, Jordy Murphy is saying that these are as big as European fixtures. Does the idea of the Munster team sheet announcement tonight kind of lessen the appeal of the fixture somewhat? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's it's understandable. It frustrates some people that, you know, maybe they've lost a little bit of bite, but it's a good opportunity for some of the young players. I think Leinster Munster next week will hopefully be full strength from both sides. Now, Leinster, Leinster sent down um, a weakened team last year and they won in Thurman Park and uh, they're capable of doing that. They're the one side that can probably cope with, with the rotation um, my weekend team it was like a team of emerging stars really like yeah it was yeah, to be fair yeah, to, you look that's the strength and depth they have and uh, I think they'll, they'll probably send a full strength team next week um, Will they go f- they'll probably rotate a little bit and, and go a little bit weaker against Connacht but weaker to Leinster is, doesn't really affect them too much these days which is uh, a great sign of, of, of the quality they have coming through and the young players who are trying to grab an opportunity and putting pressure on other people um, you saw those results against Ospreys and Dragons in November, November Internationals, where they just blew both sides away. Um, and uh, that's the strength they have. So there's, inevitably there's going to be rotation. Munster make 13 changes. Um, Jean Klein is back. I think they could have done with him in Cass last mm-hmm. week. We spoke about that earlier in the week. Um, there's a good opportunity for some, some players. Tommy O'Donnell is back in the bench. That'll help. Um, it's good for him to get back. He's had a lot of injuries, and and Gavin Coombs and Finneen Witcherly, players like that. Alex Wooden hasn't featured a lot this year. Um, he gets a uh, gets a chance in the wing. So there's there's opportunities for players throughout throughout um, these interpros. You want to try and win them. It's tricky. It's a hard place to go up to the Kingspan. Mm. Ulster have been on a good run the last few weeks, and um, a lot of positivity back there. Some of their Pro 14 form, even though they've got results, they haven't been, hadn't been setting the world on fire. 
before before the, the, the last round of the European Games, but certainly um, they'll be full of confidence and they'll want to get a result there tonight and keep that feel-good factor going in, 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 in Belfast. For sure. Like When you look at the Munster team, I know you've got to manage minutes and all that sort of thing. With 13 changes, you couldn't expect them to start maybe two weeks in a row. But I thought the best thing from a Munster perspective might have been to just get Joey Carberry back out there again because you know yourself that if things don't go your way on a certain day, you just want to get back on the pitch ASAP and right the wrongs. Yeah, of course, but um, they all have to understand now that there's a lot of change. He's, he hasn't played a lot of rugby, really, um, this year. Not a huge amount of games, anyway. Um, so, But look, I'm sure he'll. Um, it's part of the player welfare programme, and um, he'll play against Leinster next week, and he'll play probably against Connacht as well, and then they have a kind of a busy run with Gloucester and, Gloucester and, uh, and Exeter. So it's, um, yeah... I always found that if you if you didn't have the best of performance or if you made some mistakes or errors, that the best tonic for that was to get out the week after. But that's out of his control. And, and Johan van Graan has um, has went for JJ Hanran tonight, which it's it's it gives JJ a chance. You know, he's he's played well for him recently. He was good, really good against Cast and Limerick, and uh, and it's a chance for Bill Johnson to come onto the bench. So. It's not ideal um, for Joy. I think, like I said, I'd like to be getting straight out there. Yeah, like uh, Roger's writing about uh, Carberry this morning in the Irish Examiner, and he says he would have been humiliated getting taken off, and that Van Grant's decision to take him off might have, you know, actually kind of watered the seed of him actually creating some doubt in his mind that this thing just didn't help. Yeah, look, Roger obviously know better that, that um, with, with, with a 10, there's so much decision-making going on, and it's a real confidence uh, booster of a position like you can you can go really well or you can get blamed for a lot of stuff as well if things go wrong and um, I think that's what happened Joey a little bit last week I think he's forwards um, your halfbacks are only as good as how your 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 pack play of course you can do something individual and brilliant that can change a game even if your pack are under pressure but I think the amount of pressure Cass put in him last week and obviously the kicks they're about confidence as well you get the first one you know, you start believing that they'll all go over, and and we've seen that historically from kickers that uh, once they get their confidence up in all sports, if you're taking freeze in in hurling or football as well. Um, so yeah, look, it is a confidence thing, and um, will his confidence be dented? I think he's very level. Uh, he's very grounded person anyway, and I think the reason for taking him off was probably. Um, if there, if another penalty came, um, that JJ Hanran would take it, and you know his kicking has been, and I heard that before the the Cass game, why he was ahead, he's ahead of Tyler Blandell at the moment because his place kicking is really good, and his place kicking has been good this year. So that was probably the reasoning for it. And uh, you know, you think what's Joey Carby thinking if he if he thinks I get those last ten minutes, I get one to nail it. Yeah, but. You know, sometimes that opportunity is it's it's down to the the coaches on the sideline. They make those decisions in the heat of the moment. You're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's scenario. True. But you know, I think overall that performance last week was was um, you know there's there's issues there for Munster around their accuracy and around um, getting bullied a little bit away from home, which is a concern. And I think that would be a concern tonight. And that's where you're talking about the ideal scenario. Could they have gone full strength? And but look, the Leinster game at home is it's it changes that um, they've got a you know they've they've lost three in the Pro 14. Three of them have been away. Um, 
Glasgow away is always a difficult game. Leinster away is always a really difficult game. I think the one in Cardiff will, will, was kind of brought up a few concerns and issues. Yeah. And then they went to Exeter in fairness and they got a fantastic draw there. But it was a game, again, they should have won. So they're not closing out games, tight games that they, they should be winning. You mentioned they're getting bullied away from home there. Like this idea of, I guess, taking control of a situation again. Like I'm just going to lean on Roger's column here a bit for the next few minutes. He talks about the red mist and uh, he mentions Dennis Leamy being able to control that red mist and being able to walk in and not get bullied, but channeling the anger in the right way at the same time. How do you do that? Were you of, of a similar mind like Leamy to be able to do that? No, or did you I wasn't able to. Jesus, <laughs> me, control the red mist. Um... No, yeah, Dennis, he's very right about Dennis because Dennis was a hard, hard bastard and he was he was someone you wouldn't mess with and uh, he was someone that didn't say a lot but his actions kind of dictated a real physicality and a presence. Um, Dunnick had the same, Paul O'Connell, you know, we, we had a pack that was, you know, just we didn't want to be intimidated and to be fair, that stuff, it takes a bit of time to get to that stage where you're, you're really dominant and physical. It's not about being a hard man and standing up to people. It's just about your actions as a unit and being really tight as a unit. And I think, um, so once are well capable of being very physical, for I sure. I say, they have those players. Yeah, they have, yeah. And I think, look, the modern day game, and, and this is where it gets misconstrued sometimes, is about, oh, if that was the old Munster pack, we would have done X, Y, and Z. It can, we went to, cast, I remember going to cast in 2004 and we, we had a similar situation. We lost 19-12 and we got, there was a lot of stuff going on off the ball. There was a lot of verbals. So it can happen any team. Um, there's a perception there that the Munster team I played in wouldn't take that. Probably towards the latter stage when we matured and got really confident and dominant and when we had a good few hidings. Um, I remember we went to Neath one time in the early days of the Celtic League and Declan Kidney after the game was furious because he said the one thing he cannot accept is that we get a beating physically um, if we lose in the scoreboard and that was something that kind of resonated with a lot of us over the years that you know rugby is a very physical it's physical first and foremost you can have all the skills in the world but if you're second second in the collision areas and, and you're getting dominated um, a lot of sports are the same mm. even though they're not as, as much contact you know if you play a soccer match mm. and you're getting bopped around the place and your man is putting more pressure in you and he's winning those tackles it's he's a bit more physical and he's a bit more determined and has a bit more spark to him so Munster had plenty of that last week but they weren't protected by the referees and stuff but I think Cardiff again bullied is a big word it um, is it's a word that's you know you're it's just the opposition are being a bit more dominant and they have a bit more reactive kind of energy if you like and they're more playing to their crowd and it's the, it's, it's the dilemma of home and away performances in all sports that's the mental intrigue of why should it be different when you go away from home yeah. well the crowd play a part you're <clears> travelling you're out of your own environment um, the other crowd are like caged animals and they can't lose at home that type of mentality and that's the intrigue of trying to break that I think that this group are probably they've got to learn from some of those lessons you know the Cardiff one was probably like they went to Glasgow and they were dominated physically you know it was, it was a second string team um, and if you want to be the first in your position in, in, in any provincial team or any team, you've got to stand up to those away kind of challenges. We had a lot of those in the early days in France where there wasn't much criticism if we lost heavily because there wasn't much expectation. Sure. There's more expectation nowadays and, and probably expectation from themselves because you know, they've got to deal with that. 
the concern for me is 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 some of the accuracy and some of the opportunities. Like they were fantastic in Exeter. They weren't bullied in Exeter. No. So they got to look at one and the other and say why why is it different? And that sometimes is down to a mental thing and it's down to a collective unit been really determined to actually say, look, physically, we've got to set the tone here early on away from home. We've got to quieten the crowd and stuff like that. So they went to Exeter against a very dominant pack normally who yeah. bully teams and who have really good set piece, brilliant scrum. And that's what Leinster do well now. They don't get physically dominated. And it's not that they're any harder than, any, than Munster or Ulster or Connacht. It means that they're just... They're mentally very resilient and they're battle-hardened and they're talented, absolutely. But And they're hard guys who, who step up, you know, and that they have a hard edge to them. Just on that point, uh, because O'Gara is calling them kings of the jungle this morning, Leinster, that is, they've earned it. They've earned, the title of, they've earned that title. Uh, they get the 50-50 calls, he says, even the 40-60 calls. It is no reflection on Wayne Barnes to say, and I know it's a big comment, but that game last Saturday in Cash would have been ref differently were Leinster involved. He refers to it as being the Manchester United thing when Keane was in his pomp at Old Trafford. And they weren't slow to remind referees of the fact. Yeah, we weren't slow either when we were dominant in Europe uh, with Munster. And um, it's, it's understandable. You do sometimes. Well, that's what you want to do. You want to create a perception that your discipline is good, your quality is good, and that you're kind of expected to win anyway. So you want to create that picture and that, that mindset with everyone watching, the referees, the fans, everything. And, you know, sometimes you know, that's happened so many dominant teams that you always get the opposition going, well, it's just because it's Manchester United or just because it's the great Liverpool team of the 80s. or The All Blacks. Or, or the All Blacks, you know. And, and that, that's part of sporting culture. It's not always fair. But it's not wrong either, you know what I mean? Because sometimes you look back at some of these decisions, you go, yeah. But the All Blacks in rugby would have benefited. And it, it's, it's part of a winning team that they create a culture of uh, pressure. And pressure within themselves, but pressure on everybody else around them that they're supposed to win. Mm. And uh, that's the great thing about trying to beat the All Blacks. And it's always been part of any teams I've been involved with when we, we came close a good few times is dealing with that aura and that expectation and that some of that decision-making that happens. And um, that comes from your dominance and your body language and all that kind of stuff. But Leinster weren't happy with Wayne Barnes in Toulouse mm. when they lost the game. So you could argue that you know one or two decisions went against him there. But I do understand his point. Dominant teams in all sports, sometimes they have so much pressure and expectation that they do get the 50-50 yeah. call. And look, you're not supposed to win this, in a sense. It's kind of that. And why should you get a penalty? Look at France against New Zealand, 2011 World Cup. They should have got a number of penalties in that game to beat New Zealand. Um, but you couldn't rip up the script there. There was so much pressure in that, that situation. It's true. Like the idea last week, though, that, say... Uh, the the cockett incident would have got uh, pinned a- at that moment. It probably isn't true. That probably would have been ref the exact same way. Like, what was your take on it? Like, you were in with us on Monday. Obviously, not happy with how the game was refereed last week. Cockett ended up getting three weeks uh, during the week. Seemed quite lenient to me. Yeah. Look, the the, the length of the ban doesn't really matter to uh, in a sense. Um, I think it's no good to Munster. It's no good to anyone. It's it is a bigger picture here. People can judge me and say, well, I'm pot kettle all that kind of stuff, and I'm in no position to to criticise anyone for foul play or for being narky on the field or whatever. Um, 
I never goaded on the field. I was aggressive and I got involved in a fair few scuffles and I gave away penalties and it was part of my nature and, you know, I've got to live with that and deal with that stuff. I was involved in the Leo incident in 2009, uh, biggest regret of my life, career. Um, so am I in a position to be able to talk about what Rory Cockett did? It doesn't really matter me to me in a sense what kind of lent to ban. Um, the... the Punishments are different now. There's one for eye area and one for the eye. I wish it was the same for, for me in 2009 because uh, Gerald Davies, the Lions manager, had phoned me and said, "Look, you're gonna if he gets if 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 you get it if you get it reduced to six weeks, he was kind of preempting. We'll still take you on tour." And we spoke about that after and in, in the appeal, and I pleaded to say, "Look, you know." this was the situation and that uh, it wasn't intentional and I still say it wasn't intentional and I'm bringing up something that's well gone Yeah. Um, and I know in my heart of hearts it wasn't something that was intentional And um, but Rory Cockett so it doesn't like I'm not focusing on the length of the ban I'm focusing on what the referees missed we could see it clearly that there was foul play on, on all the camera uh, on the camera the main camera yeah. so World Rugby came out this year and said they gave a directive about maybe less involvement for the TMO and stronger on-field decisions from the team of three, the referee and the two assistant referees. And I just thought that was that didn't happen last week with Wayne Barnes and Paul Dixie's assistant, Matthew Carley. They never got control of that and they missed a clear incident here that, we, that everybody could clearly see that something went on there. Now, to the better trained eye, maybe you can see... Um, that it was an eye gouge, it was a potential eye gouge, it wasn't looked at. Cass went on to score a try. So, you know, again, the point, exactly, of, yeah. the point of saying, well, look, Munster have only themselves to blame. Well, that was a seven-pointer that shouldn't have happened. So just and, to be clear, they could scan back. Oh, easily, yeah. Well, uh, there's a TMO sitting in the truck, yeah. Michael, and his job is to look at that stuff. Mm. It's not just so tries, if I, it's if I can see it, and yeah. did you saw, I presume you saw it when it happened... Chris Clote went straight to the, the linesman. He was waving his hand. So what he, we didn't see was a replay at the time. Yeah, we didn't see a replay because it's controlled by French TV. Yeah. And um, um, but if I, if we can all, if a lot of us can see that he's sitting, he has the benefit of replays and going back over stuff. Why um, Rowan Kitt, the TMO, who I think should be some accountability for that. Yeah. Why he yeah. didn't pick it up. So a lot of people are blaming Wayne Barnes. He's there to help Wayne Barnes. He's given him no help assistance. What sort of accountability are we talking Yeah, and it's proven afterwards in the hearing on Wednesday that those decisions were all wrong. Like, that should have been a red card, and the other one on Rallier, on the tackle on Peter Manley should have been a red card. So That's no good now. Like, it's, it's no, no good. good now, it's no like, good. Yeah. It's what no is the good accountability now, though? And is it's there... no good. Look, the accountability scenario is... If a player messes up on a field he gets dropped. and yeah. something goes wrong, he gets dropped and he doesn't get picked and he gets lambasted by his coaches. And I know the referees, it's a very tough job. Um, there's no doubt about that. There's a lot of decision-making. There's a lot of 50-50 calls. There's a lot of interpretations. Um, the reason we have the TMO on and the reason it's been brought in is to get decisions right. Look at modern-day football, soccer. A lot of decisions and contentious decisions that that are still going on with so much money in the game, and they're talking about you know bringing the TMO into the Premier League and it's been trialed and all that. VAR was at yeah. the World Cup, um, but I think for for to have the benefit of a video referee, a TMO sitting in the truck, two officials there, 
um, and to get those decisions wrong. And it was it, like at the end of the day, it wasn't just those incidents. There was a lot of other stuff that went on mm. um, that could have been handled way better. And Wayne Barnes didn't get it right. And we need to make sure going forward that you don't want to frighten people away from refereeing and put and, and land-based referees. But you want to see a bit of human nature. If, if someone makes a wrong decision that they say, look, we got yeah. it wrong here. So we don't hear from the referees. But like Rowan Kitt is the one that should have been helping uh, Wayne Barnes in a much better way. And his two assistant referees. You saw the incident with Vaupool at a number eight yeah. and Paul Dix, the assistant referee, standing right there. He sees him hit uh, Sammy Arnold. Like it was only slaps, it was petulant. And then a knee as well as he's getting up. So what should have happened there was he should have called, uh, he has a mic, he should have called Wayne Barnes and said, number eight, have a word with him, tell him calm down. He's, uh, like it was a monster scrum. There was yeah. no reason to, for him to get the ball there and take a quick line because it wasn't his. Um, but it was, so it was handled poorly. As a group, they need to be accountable for what happened last week. Because there's a lot of money involved. And if yeah, Munster sure. don't make the knockout stages, it could cost them a million euros. Without question, I, I think that's all fair enough. We, we should just, uh, just to touch back on tonight's game before we wrap, because it is game of the weekend. Like, it is... Is it a little bit of a shame that we're not going to see like Sandra and O'Mahony tonight? Because when I look at Ulster yeah. at the moment, that Coetzee, Reedy, Murphy uh, back row is really exciting. What's your take being on this? Yeah, it is. I, and I loved going to uh, the old Raven Hill with a full Munster team and going in against the odds. And, and, and we won a few times up there and, and broke that kind of hoodoo. It was very difficult for us um, uh, at the start to get, get wins there. And it was a great place to go. Um, it was an electric atmosphere, and um, so it is a pity that people don't get to see Stander O'Mahony, uh, Keith Earls tonight, Conor Murray. Uh, but it's understandable; it's part and parcel of the modern game. We, on the envy of the UK and France at times, and they're always giving out about this rotation and this player welfare. You know, I, it is the result of it. You know, it was. Um, and look, Owen Farrell; he's an example of the amount of games he played last year, as opposed to Johnny Sexton, and. You know, they have a point, but it's just the way it is here and it's the way the system works. And um, But I think, look, it's still going to be a bit of spark and a bit of bite to that game tonight. Um, Munster beat them 64-7 down at Thoman Park, so they'll certainly want to, Dan McFarlane, want to, want to get him back for that. Um, but it's a challenge, and I'm, I'm kind of intrigued about some of the Munster players, how they perform tonight. Conor, Conor Oliver's back from, from in, a long-term injury. Finney literally at six. Um, he's strong, abrasive, athletic. Um, you know how he'll go, and and uh, so it'll be an interesting one. But it is a shame that Ulster are going to win, though, right? Their favourites, yeah, home, more. good form. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they're in good form. They've only three changes. They look a lot stronger on paper, but it's a real challenge and a test for Munster and. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Just, uh, speaking of teams in form, just a, a final point. RDS tomorrow, Connacht going there, looking for six wins in a row. They haven't won, I think, away to Leinster since 2002. Yeah, we ha and we haven't seen we haven't seen the teams. Obviously, not going to be out, uh, out to lunchtime, so we're not really sure. I'd imagine Leinster will go um, with a fair bit of rotation, and Connacht will try and you know try and play play. It. I'm not sure what Andy Friend will do because they've 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 been on a great run and. Did he really believe that they can win there, or will he change, make some changes? But they, they surely can believe that. Yeah, they, and they have more. They have more depth this year, and they've obviously a feel-good factor that they're getting some positive results. They're playing some really good rugby again. Um, so the, there might be an opportunity. I remember going there last year and working for the um, the Connacht Leinster game last year, thinking, 
Jesus, this is the one. Mm. This is the one that they have a real, real chance. And previous years under Pat Lamb, thinking they're going to break this bit of a hoodoo that's gone on for a long time. And and, Ulster, and Leinster have just produced the goods. They're very difficult. And um, it's a long time since Leinster have lost at home, and I don't think they'll lose tomorrow. So we're talking Ulster and Leinster wins this yeah. weekend. Uh, Quinny, thanks a million. Thanks for everything Cheers. during the year. Have a happy Christmas. Uh, enjoy it. We'll Same see you in early 2019. Thank you very much. Uh, so one more piece to bring you this morning on OTB AM. Uh, Cameron Hill is going to join us here in studio. He entered and won our Vodafone X competition, you might remember, that we ran back in November. It was open to students all around Ireland. The prize was an iPhone 8 with a year subscription to Sky Sports. But the winner would also win a chance to work with Off the Ball for the week. That's the best part of the prize. We'll find out how we got on in a few moments. But first, Cameron put this report together for Off the Ball. It's on a certain World Cup that's taking place in Ireland in 2019. The Irish Quidditch Cup takes place here in Trinity College, Dublin on the 12th of January. Three teams from across Ireland have already registered for the day and I'm here with tournament coordinator Philip Moore who's going to tell me about the event and Quidditch in general. Philip, it was here last year, it's back again this year in Trinity College. How important is it that you guys have it again? So this location for us is really, really important. It's so centric to Dublin City uh, it's a popular area, will be seen, and being seen is really important. Uh, like we put all the teams, they really, really put in so much work in trainings and going to other tournaments and learning and developing your skills more and more that when we have uh, the Irish Cup, it's really important for us that we get a little bit of recognition for what we do, and that's uh, going to be really part of being in Trinity, is getting spectators in to see it. Most people will be familiar with it from the uh, Harry Potter books and films. It's a little bit different to the one you see in the movies, isn't it? Yeah, so the sport has changed a lot uh, from the books and huge elements have been kept from the books, like really important parts of the sport. Uh, So the biggest change, that's the big elephant in the room, is that we don't fly on our brooms. uh, But I'm sure fans of Harry Potter will be able to recognize components of the game, uh, like the beaters and throwing bludgers to knock players out, and the quaffle players trying to score points with the quaffle, uh, and of course the golden snitch being the ending of the game. Just in terms of what's going on during the day, it's not just matches, there's plenty of things to do, all free of charge of course. What can people expect if they come along to the Cup on the 12th of January? So... um, People can expect that there will be some really good games of Quidditch played, both competitive games and friendly games, uh, which will all be really important for us. So our competitive games will be uh, the treaty Irish teams uh, fighting for their place, because there's only one place for an Irish team to go to the European Championships. So it'll be uh, tough games uh, of people, players who really, really will want to go to the European Championships. But then after that... Um, we're going to mix things around and have friendly games where all the teams are mixed together and our referees and volunteers and coordinators can come and be a part of the part of the day with us. Brilliant stuff. So 12th of January in College Park, totally free of charge. There's no reason not to come down here for the Irish Quidditch Cup. For OffTheBall.com, I'm Cameron Hill. And Cameron Hill is with us in studio. You're very welcome, Cameron. Thank you very much. Thanks and, for having me. Uh, it's great to have you around for the week. Uh, that was Philip Moore speaking to you. But straight away, I'm calling out Philip Moore. He referred to one of the positions on that Quidditch team as a quaffle player, when in actual fact it's called a chaser. So I'm sorry, but as a, as a Harry Potter fan, I've got to call that out. Michael Verney here was absolutely astonished that there's a team in Offaly. I'm making my inter-county return. <laughs> <laughs> I've never watched a Harry Potter film. Um, I, it's going to change now. Half an hour, maybe one Christmas day. But um, 
This could be this could this could make the top ten sport. Look, look, <laughs> you know, I mean, the guy was just you know your stepping coming stuff. of yeah. age. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quidditch, that's <laughs> big stuff, you know. Yeah, it's a gateway drug, GEA for Quidditch. <laughs> that's the old saying goes. So, like, are you, were you big into that before, or were you like, this is a story that I just want to do? It's kind of curious, or is that, is that right up your alley? Yeah, just something different. Uh, I sent in the frisbee video that I did a couple of weeks ago, where I just tried it out for Trinity News, and. Um, I just wanted to do something different for the week. There's so many people who do rugby or ask people their favourite sporting moment of 2018. I just wanted to, you know, make my mark. So uh, yeah. hopefully that will suffice. Do you think uh, Quidditch is going to get into your top 10 sports? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Did you, it was uh, Ultimate Frisbee, was it? Ultimate yeah. Frisbee. Yeah, well, brilliant yeah. game, yeah. Oh, brilliant game. I used to play a bit in school, actually. I used to, do, I used to teach a bit. Yeah, really interesting game, I, yeah. I signed up for Ultimate Frisbee first year in college. You got college. hit in the forehead, no? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> close enough. And uh, it just ended up going back to somebody's house drinking beer out of a Frisbee, which I thought was kind of weird. Mm. Kind of very unhygienic, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Um, so that, that's that uh, how have you found off the ball like this is the thing you, you can tell us now nobody is uh, nobody's going to tell you off if you absolutely slate any of the people out in the he's office not out there, is he? no he's not out there so like, I, I was going to ask you to power rank uh, the soundest people in off the ball but I don't think we'd have enough people to do it well, no, what, what I, have you thought of the experience look I think of 10 minutes that would be too much <laughs> but, uh, um, it's been class a really really informative great week um, great week to be here with uh, Mourinho's departure yeah. really cool to see it in action um, but really informative, uh, quite educational and hugely entertaining, I think. Yeah, so what have we got? We've got Quidditch World Cup in January. Yeah. January, in Trinity. In Trinity, yeah, in College Park on the 12th of January. So uh, be there, I will be. So, you know. Absolutely, we need to cover that. Uh, congratulations, and uh, how's the phone? It seems like that's not, sorry, that's not the best part of the prize. Working with it off the ball is the best part of the prize. Yeah, the phone, the second part, best part of the prize, seems like a pretty good one. Uh, I presume it's good. I haven't got it yet, but um, I'm waiting. He's calling waiting. you guys out. Well, look, uh, Santa, if you're out there, you know, it'd be great on Christmas Day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, well, Cameron, great to meet you. Thanks for coming in this week, and uh, thanks, Millie, for that. Uh, Quidditch World Cup in Trinity next January. Of course, Ireland won the Quidditch World Cup in what, 1994? Or no, late, 90, late 90s, was it? I can't remember. Uh, it was the one where Oliver Crumb completely messes up. It's in the, the fourth that's, book. That's right, yeah. I mean, Italian 19, whatever. You know, yeah, that, was, Italian that was a big one. This is a big one indeed. And Michael, thanks, William, for coming in. Probably. Enjoy Christmas. Most importantly, post Christmas, enjoy the BDO darts. We'll have to get you on. Who's the world champion again? Glenn does a Durant going for a three timer yeah. Glenn does a Durant that is a name to keep an eye on uh, over the Christmas uh, that is us for this week uh, we'll have a couple of special shows coming up over Christmas keep an eye out for them on our social channels follow us at Off The Ball on Twitter you can find us as well on Facebook or on YouTube we're back on the radio from 7 o'clock this evening we'll chat to you then bye bye for now so if you like this you'll probably also like OTB AM Ireland's only sports breakfast show subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube Twitter Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45am